Welcome, Manifiners. If this is your first time joining us, this is Alina Van Dyke, your podcast hostess. Manifines is here to expand your God box. It is a space where you can pause and reflect and be inspired by many epiphanies. I really believe that the Lord meets us in the everyday, whether we are making eggs for breakfast or preparing a cup of coffee or we're at work and he just interrupts our daily life in order to bring inspiration and connect us to his spirit. And so I see him in all the little tiny things. I appreciate that he gives me all green lights when I'm running late. I ask him to be a part of everything. And I really believe that that's what he wants from every single one of his children is for all of us to invite him into literally every single moment. And so I hope that this will inspire you to do that. Today, we're going to talk about a deeper form of that intimacy with the Lord. We're going to talk about a bridal intimacy. I really believe that the prayer movement, if you don't know that, you can Google it, but like the prayer movement has been something that's been happening in the global Christian body for 20 plus years. And so there was this movement to move towards 24-7 prayer. There's been a movement to meet him in the secret place, to have intimate conversations with the Lord and present our lives to him as living sacrifice. And as we've returned to that, I believe that it brings you even deeper. Instead of a one-sided conversation where you're just lifting up prayers and requests, the Lord quickly moves people into a posture of listening and sitting there and going, Lord, what do you want? What's on your heart? And so as we come into love for him, we stop just this selfish, basic, Lord, give me, I don't know, you know, a steak for dinner, a husband, whatever you're asking for. Um, And I'm, you know, clearly I'm being silly. I'm sure that your prayers are much more important than that. But whatever you're requesting, um, I really believe that we move into this two-way conversation of then him placing a burden on our heart, him placing something in us like, hey, did you notice that your neighbor doesn't have a lot of community and doesn't have a lot of friends? And why don't you go bake so-and-so cookies? And why don't you, he like, he starts to have this conversation with us, um, not just in relationship, but then in prayer of like, it's on my heart that the country would come out of its partnership with death or that this person needs healing or whatever it is. And we start to intercede and ask the Lord. We stand in the gap and we say that person or that people group or this country or whatever, this city might not be asking for that, but I live here and I'm going to ask for it. And I'm going to be the one that requests your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, pretty quickly, when the Lord places something on your heart, it tends to lead to action. And so I want to touch that really fast because I've already done it. I've already mentioned like the Lord puts a burden on your heart to go bake cookies for your neighbor. Well, that's an action. It's no longer just praying for your neighbor from bef- from like behind closed doors. It's actually like stepping out and doing something. And so when we do that, there's a big difference between standing against something and standing for something. And I, when I read the Bible, I don't see Jesus standing against things so much as he's standing for things. 
There are moments that people come up to him and challenge him. And he says, no, that's not right. But the Lord wasn't out there preaching and yelling from the rooftops that everybody was going to hell. And like this religious, weird thing that we see in the church today, where people are standing against a lot of things. The Lord gave people free will. And he's like, you can choose wickedness or you can choose righteousness. And he invites them into the positive path. I'll say it that way for now, instead of the negative path. And we'll just, I may keep it super simple. And so you could choose to be negative at dinner and you could say, I'm not eating bacon. I refuse to eat bacon. I'm not eating bacon again. We're not doing this. And you could be super negative. And the host or whoever's making you dinner might actually be like, I didn't even have bacon on the menu. I wasn't going to do that. Or you could choose to be positive and you could say, I really want this for dinner. I'd really love to have chicken. I'd really love this. Why don't we expand our palate? We could try something new. Why don't we have salmon? And you could choose the positive path or you could choose the negative path. And so there's this thing happening that I think has been happening since way before my time. If you couldn't hear that, I was like rubbing my face like, oh, Lord, help. (laughs) Um, Where there are so many people choosing to be the negative voice that stands against things. And I, this is a hard subject in the sense that like, I get that we need to have information and there needs to be people that explain things and tell us, Hey, that is a big deal and challenge us and let us know that there really is darkness that we might be naive to. But at the same time, I see a God that asked us for childlike faith and asked us to pursue him with everything that we had and offer him our lives as a living sacrifice. And when we know better, we do better, but he doesn't hold anything that we don't know against us. And so I don't see children needing to be educated that the stove is hot until it's, until they're tall enough to touch the stove and accidentally burn themselves. And so there's just things that we don't necessarily need to know and we don't need to focus on. And it just corrupts our minds and our thoughts to be so focused on such negativity and such wickedness. And so we need to be aware of it, but not so intimately aware of it that it robs us from our peace. Because what we look at, we become. And so if we're looking at Jesus and we're looking at the scriptures and we're looking at the positive way of doing things, the loving way, the holy way, the righteous way, the hopeful way, the faithful way, if we're focusing on those things, then we're going to pursue those things and we're going to become those things. It's like this. I wrote a book called Return to Love. So I'm standing for returning to love. I didn't write a book called How to Hate Hate (laughs) or How to Stand Against Hate. I'm writing a book saying, let's love. Let's love God, love each other, love our neighbor. Let's open up our hearts and learn how to love more deeply, more fully. Let's be wholehearted in our pursuit of love. And again, if we focus on that path, then of course we're going to walk away from hate. We're going to walk away from anger and all the opposite things of love. But I'm not shaking my fist at those things, demanding that we walk away from them. It's like when you have a little child and they're distracted by a toy and you need to get them to leave. And so instead 
they have to leave that toy behind at their friend's house. And so you have to distract them with something else or make them focus their gaze on the excitement of getting into the car or the excitement of the toy in the car or even just being in mom's arms. And that's new and exciting. Whatever it is, you have to like pull them away from the thing that they can't have anymore and is no longer good for them. And the time for that has ended in order to move in a different direction. You don't take it away from them and tell them it's wrong to want this anymore. You can't play with this toy anymore. That's not going to help them. It's going to make them cry. And it doesn't redirect them into what's new and best and different. Now, as adults, we can be using that same example. We can be redirectors of our own life. If you have ever fasted or given up something for Lent, let's say, Let's say that you gave up soda for a month. When you taste soda again a month later, it is going to taste so bad to you. It's going to taste really sweet and like hit your adrenals like crazy. (laughs) You know, if you give up fast food, then all of a sudden a month later, it's like, oh, this is so greasy. Like what have I been eating for five years? I use food because I think it's the best example. There's so many other things that your appetite for media and TV and like so many other things that you could fast. But when you choose to give something up for a season, your appetite will change because you're pursuing something different. So if you're focusing on what is good and pure and holy, like the Bible says, then you're going to not have a taste for the things that are dark and evil and gross and perverted because you're focusing on what's good you're not going to want to focus on what's bad because that will draw you towards it. In the same exact way, if you focus on what is dark and gross and crude, then you'll get a taste for that and the other things will seem innocent or childish to you or something. And it won't, like your appetite is what you choose it to be, but you're never stuck. That's why Sabbath and even fasting are really important practices in life. Because if you do, if you're focusing on health, then at some point in time in your life, you're going to do some kind of cleanse, whether it's doing like a juice thing or a fast or whatever, you're going to try to eat healthy or you're going to go on a diet and you can do the same thing with media. You can do the same thing with social media. You can do the same thing with relationships, going out and partying, even whatever it is that you know is bad for you and that you're doing in a way that is not good for your soul. And it could be literally anything. I can drink coffee to excess in a way that's not good for my body, you know, and I can have one cup a day and I can be super healthy. So it just depends on balancing your life. I wonder sometimes if this is why the Lord said to have his people be in it, but not of it. I think that's John 17 in his prayer where it's like, we need balance. We need to be a part of life. It's good for us to take care of ourselves and shower and eat. And like these Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we need a house and a roof over our head. And, you know, all these things that we have to like work for on a day-to-day basis. We can't just live in the spiritual all the time or run away to the mountains and be all culty and like run away from society. It's good for us to interact with other people and different points of view and different experiences and even travel and see what different cultures are like and all these different things. But we want to invite the Lord into those things. And it goes all the way back to the bridal intimacy of it. 
if in every single thing that we do, whether it seems very carnal or it seems very physical or it seems meaningless or it's pouring yourself a glass of orange juice, like whatever it is, are you inviting the Lord to be with you in those moments? Are you communing with him so that in all of these things, in your pursuit of what to watch or what to eat or where to work, are you inviting him into all of those things? And I think that's why the Lord uses the wedding analogy, because through the whole Bible, and I know I was a wedding planner for 10 years, so don't get me wrong, my brain just works like that. So when I read the Bible, I really see over and over and over all of the wedding language and the bridal language and the um, just relational concept and the intimacy with the Lord. It's easy for me to read it, and I know that not everybody else notices it right away. But when you're reading it and you're looking for it, it's so obvious to me that he is asking to share your life with you the way that a spouse would. You know, like if you have a healthy marriage, you're going to be talking to them every time you want to change a job. You're going to be coming home and debriefing with them at dinner and saying, this is how my day was and this is what's going on and these are the desires of my heart and these are the concerns I have. And you're sharing your life with somebody in an intimate way. And if you're doing the same thing with the Lord, then your marriage if you are married, is that three-strand cord. That analogy is always there, that a three-strand cord is not easily broken. And so if you're with your spouse talking about all of these things and both of you together are going, Lord, what do you have to say about my wife or my husband's concerns about their job and their boss being a jerk and this coworker that's being codependent and needy and this person that did this and where are you in the midst of all of these things, then you're still putting the Lord and his desires for your life at the center of your life. I bring up the spouse thing because I'm going to go real deep and scary for a moment. So if you are married, then you know that there is only one person in your life that you're completely intimate with that you're totally vulnerable with, that you're totally naked with, that you don't have anything separating the two of you. And I think that the Lord uses that same marital analogy because he's saying, just like he said to Adam in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked. And then they sinned and they saw that they were naked. They saw that they were broken. They saw that they would be vulnerable if they were seen and they didn't want to be seen. And so they hid themselves. And God's walking through the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? And then he says, who told you that you were naked? And I think that using that concept, using that story in your brain, connect these two dots for me, that the Lord is saying, I want you to be vulnerable in front of me. I want you to not hide anything from me, not hide it with like clothing in that sense of an analogy of nakedness. I want you to be exposed. I want you to, to know me intimately and let yourself be known intimately. And I don't, you know, it, people get it twisted really quick with like sexuality and it being this whole thing and this whole concept, but go all the way back to Adam for me and go, this is about being seen and being known. Hopefully in a healthy marriage, 
you have one person in your life that fully sees you, fully knows you, fully loves you, doesn't reject you even though you're messy, doesn't reject you even though you feel imperfect. And that is such a worldly, tiny example that cannot compare to the love that the Lord has for you and how much he adores you and wants to walk with you and heal your brokenness and talk to you about your vulnerability and talk to you about you feeling exposed and be in that secret, intimate place with him that only he knows the deepest, darkest thoughts, that only he knows the things that you're deeply afraid of or the fears of what you're going to do in this situation or that. He is the only one that can answer those deepest questions that you have. But he can't answer them if we don't open ourselves up and expose our hearts and be vulnerable and hand him everything and say, I will love you and I will make a covenant with you just like I made a covenant when I stood at the altar and said wedding vows that I will love you all of my days and that I will give you the most vulnerable part of me the nakedness and the intimate conversations and the debriefing my day every day and talking to you about work and talking to you about the little things. And just like your spouse knows that you're, you really like toast at a 3.5 and not a four and not a three, you know, like whatever, whatever it is, all those little tiny things, the Lord cares about every single detail of your life because he loves you more than any human on this earth. And so I think that kind of coming full circle, there are so many things that steal our gaze. There are so many things. If you look at a marriage again, where you go, I could have a husband at home, but all day long, I could be looking at every guy while I'm at work, not just in a lustful sexual way, but in like a companionship way and in this and in that, and you're looking for all these different people to fulfill your needs when really There's one person that wants to fulfill all of those things and wants to be in deep, intimate relationship with you and is already committed to that. And if we're focusing on other things, we're eventually going to direct our gaze away from the person that, that shares dinner with us every night. And in that same way, the Lord is like, focus on me, spend time with me, be with me all day long. When you see something that captivates you, talk to me about it. Be open and vulnerable about it and be aware that a wound or a broken place or an issue in your childhood or whatever could have made your heart pull or draw in that direction. And is it good for you? And I know these are deep, in a lot of ways, philosophical conversations. If you really chewed on that, that'll that'll go real deep. (laughs) But these are the things that are also very simple. If we are spending time with the Lord every day, if we're open and vulnerable before him, if we are exposing things instead of hiding it from him, because he knows everything anyway. So if you're mad about something, if you're pissed off about something, if you're lusting for something, if you're fearful about something, he already knows. So instead of hiding it and pretending it's not there, hand it to him. And go, Lord, I'm I'm really afraid. I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage this month. I don't know how this is going to happen. And I need you and I'm desperate for you to be this spouse that you've promised to be, to be my other half, to provide for me, to walk through life with me. 
Alina says that you care about every detail of my life and this is a really big detail and I'm really scared and I really need you. He will show up. I really believe that the Lord uses this bridegroom analogy, calling Jesus the bridegroom, because he really, truly is looking for that depth of intimacy that we had in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve chose something else. And so I think there's this constant invitation to that level of vulnerability and nakedness and intimacy with him where we are comfortable in being exposed where we are saying, everything that I have is yours. I will hide nothing from you. Would you search me and know my heart? Would you know me? Would you speak to me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? When you hand him everything, then that is a level of surrender and a level of like weakness and vulnerability where we're no longer depending on pride. We're no longer depending on ego. We're no longer depending on all of these things that the world teaches us to depend on. And instead we boil it all down to the only thing that matters. And the only thing that matters is living this life as a living sacrifice so that I can give you Lord every minute on this side of eternity before I spend the rest of my life with you in heaven. And why would you want to spend eternity with somebody that you don't know? I just like, if, if there's going to be a wedding And we're moving towards this moment that Jesus returns and he's coming back and he says, I'm coming soon. Then I better get to know him. I better at least date the guy, you know, (laughs) like I know I'm being silly, but really to be like, why would you want to spend eternity with him anyway? So you might as well get to know him and he's worth it. Let me tell you, spending, there is no minute. I think there's like a song lyric. I'm not going to be able to quote it right now, but It's like that there is no second, there is no minute that I will regret spending with you because when I get to the end of my life and I look back, those are going to be the things that really matter. When you talk to somebody who's 90, 100 and you ask them what really matters, they're going to say relationships, they're going to say love, they're going to say God, they're really going to focus on connection and communion. It's not going to be focusing on what kind of job they got or what kind of car they drove or what TV series they were obsessed with and how many beanie babies they have. (laughs) Like that is not it. The true deep connections that they made with other people that were genuine, that were wholehearted, that were vulnerable, the people that saw them and knew them and loved them anyway, those are the relationships that matter. And it's not even necessarily going to be head knowledge. You know, there's a piece of that where it's like, I read all these books and I've learned a lot, but none of that matters as much as peace, peace and relationships, love, hope, patience, kindness, goodness, these values and virtues, these are going to be the things that you're going to focus back and you're going to look on years and years from now and go, that's what really mattered. And that's what I should have been spending my time doing, rejoicing with family, rejoicing in love, rejoicing and thanking the Lord for all the things that he gave me. So like every week, there's kind of this invitation at the end to say, would you pursue that? Would you start to question in your heart, if nothing else, and question in your mind, Lord, what does it mean 
to be seen by you? What does it look like for me to be known and to hand you the deep, scary things that I'm afraid that you're going to reject me for? And that maybe the church told me that you didn't like me for or whatever. And instead go, you love me, you died for me, then work this out with me. So if this miniphany inspired you to go deeper, if it gave you a mini epiphany, if the Lord spoke to you or revealed himself to you while you listened, then praise the Lord (laughs) because that is the goal. But I also hope that you will share it with a friend, that you will reply, that you will send me a message, that you'll send me a prayer request. Reach out because we are all on this journey together. So you can connect with me at alinavandyke.com, maniphanies.com, prayinthedesert.com, and hopefully I will hear from you sooner. But if not, until next time, and I think we're going to go even deeper in this bridal intimacy conversation and what it means to be not just vulnerable before the Lord, but what it means to walk with Him and how to pursue a life that he's pleased with. And so hopefully I'll hear from you sooner, but if not, until next time, from the bottom of my soul, thank you so much for listening.